Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Okay, so as we dial in and what it means to be fully engaged with God, we're going to talk a little bit about distraction this morning. (laughs) Isn't that funny? We're talking about distraction, and then all of that happens before the service, five minutes before, and, you know, just an invitation there from the Lord to dial in and to be present with Him. And so that's what we're going to do. The truth is, as we are fond of saying here, is that we could experience Wonderful worship, um, great sermon. I could say some things that are useful, some things that are not helpful. But really what you've come here for is to meet with the living God. And so that's what we want to create space to do is to meet with him, to meet with Jesus. That there's this guy who rose from the dead, died for our sins, rose from the dead. And now his Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised him from the dead, is now walking the rows and capturing our hearts and transforming our lives. He's the one we've come here to meet with. So I wanted to create a little bit of space for all of us to meet with him in a practice that's called Lectio Divina. There's a couple of verses. Uh, They won't be on the screens, but all you need to do is just be present with God. I'm going to read them three times. There's three short little verses. I'm going to read them three times. And after the first time I read them through, you just want to be asking Um, God, what's a key word or phrase that you might have for me in these scriptures? And then the second time we read them through, you want to be asking God, why did you highlight that to my attention? What is it about that word or phrase that you're inviting me into? And then thirdly is action. What might you be inviting me into as a result of hearing the word of God and hearing the word of God again? So come, Holy Spirit, we just make space for you, as you've made space for us, to come and gather. We love you, Lord. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. But I'll keep coming closer and closer to you, Lord Yahweh, for your name is good to me. I'll keep telling the world of your awesome works, my faithful and glorious God. Take a minute and ask God what he might be drawing your heart's attention to this morning. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. But I'll come closer and closer to you, Lord Yahweh, for your name is good to me. 
I'll keep telling the world of your awesome works, my faithful and glorious God. Ask God why. Why that word or why that phrase? What is it about your word this morning that means so much to me? Let's take a moment and ask God why he might be drawing your attention to a word or a phrase in his word. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. But I'll keep coming closer and closer to you, Lord Yahweh, for your name is good to me. I'll keep telling the world of your awesome works, my faithful and glorious God. Let's ask God for invitation. What might you be inviting us into, Jesus, as we read your word? Thank you, God, that your heart's attention is toward us. It's toward, always towards men and women. That your gaze is squarely upon our hearts. You see the things that no one else sees, God. We look at outside appearance, God. You look at our hearts. And we always have your attention. I thank you, God, that there's never a time where you're too busy or you have other things to attend to. But you're so wise and so beautiful that you can be present to each person at the same time in such an intimate and wonderful way. We invite you, Holy Spirit, come. Come speak uh, each to our hearts, God. Come speak in power. Come speak in love and grace to your people. I pray that something I say would be encouraging to folks this morning. I pray that we would follow you with abandon, that we just lay all other lesser loves aside and just as we sang this morning, that you are worth everything. As Tim reminded us, God, that you are worthy of everything, worthy of all that we've been through, worthy, that we're worthy of what we're experiencing now, and worthy of everything that you're calling us into. Jesus, you sit on the throne. You're the first and the last. We love you. Come have your way. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. Amen. 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 8.25 seconds. 8.25 seconds. And drastically shrinking by the day as technology increases and gets faster. The average attention span of the human being is 8.25 seconds. The time that it takes us to focus on one thing and then be distracted and move to another is 8.25 seconds. 
Our world has become a world of scrolling, 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 and never finding. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Anybody relate to that? My kids who are a part of Gen Z would call it doom scrolling. Endless scrolling. 8.25 seconds. The etymology of the word distraction is interesting. It's not a Greek or a Hebrew word just quite yet in the scripture. But when we English speakers say that we are distracted, distracted, it brings up images of pathways and land, a tract of land, yes? And so early in the day, or early back in the day, uh, when folks would say you are distracted, what they were meaning was when this word was first hitting the scene, distraction, I mean, you're like that, you're like that winding road. Your mind is this place that's like this path that has all of these different grooves that are cut out in it, and you've become distracted from the main focus. We've become a distracted people. It means the drawing away of the mind from one point or course to another. Uh, it, it means to pull apart. To separate. So all of us are shaped. We're going to serve somebody, Bob Dylan said. We're going to worship. Our hearts were created to worship. And we're going to be shaped and molded by somebody. And we are all aware this morning that we have a model, we have a, a, a mode to be shaped in, and that mold is Jesus Christ. We're to be stamped with His image, stamped by His Spirit. Second Corinthians, Paul writes, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him. There's this great paraphrase of Romans 12:2. That says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. Our minds are to be renewed. I believe this morning, as we're looking at what it means to be fully engaged with God, that God will come and rush into the room and will begin to heal or utterly heal some who feel that their attention spans have been wounded or are distracted, those who are distracted here this morning. I feel like there's something of redemptive value that the Holy Spirit wants to come and bring to you to heal your attention span. Maybe some of you, like me, were diagnosed at an early age with attention deficit disorder or hyperactive disorder, some of you who have been diagnosed there know that most times it's not an overnight fix, but it's a long journey that you go on of saying, Lord, heal my mind, heal my thoughts. There's this guy, Ken Burns. He's a documentary filmmaker. You guys might be familiar with some of his work. I just love Ken Burns' films. His films also are like eight hours long at the shortest. And so once you're in, you're in. You know, it's the long haul. You're committed to, like, learning every little detail and facet about World War II or the Vietnam War or the National Parks was a good one or the Civil War. But once you're in, you're in. 
And he said this, I love it. I've always loved this quote from Ken Burns. He said this about our attention spans. He said, the only thing that we have in our modern life that's really our own is our attention. I would wager that the things and relationships you are most, uh, that you are most proud of are those that occur in duration over the long haul. Those that have benefited the people, the things, the work you've done by your focused attention. And so the questions this morning are, when was the last time you felt fully engaged with God? How did it feel to be fully engaged with God? Fully concentrating on something that's important in your life. And this morning, the key verse for us is that one that we read from 2 Chronicles. It's 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord, just a beautiful picture here, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, throughout all creation, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. This phrase, fully committed, another phrase for being fully present or fully um, engaged with God, it means, first of all, that God is going to be the primary source of power in our lives. And so when we are not fully engaging with Him, there's something of power or presence that we lack in our lives that can only be filled by Him. And so the truth is that some of us here this morning, or a majority of us, are missing out. I don't want to bring up a sense of FOMO in us, the fear of missing out. But there's an opportunity again to connect with the one who created you. The, the one who is fully present to you. To be fully engaged with that one. It's true when we're fully engaged with God, we can encounter any sort of difficult circumstance in our lives. And it's God's power to lead us through that. When we're fully engaged with God, it means that what we'll never experience uh, difficult situations or disappointments. Let's take another one, disappointments. No, it doesn't mean that. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. It's not if, it's when. And when you experience disappointment, to be fully engaged with God means that God's power comes amidst the disappointment. And even there, especially there, he gives us his peace. So Paul is talking the peace that transcends all, that passes all understanding. It's that sentiment when those who don't yet follow Jesus look in at your life and know what's going on in your life. You ever had that before? When they look in at your life and they say, how could you be experiencing this much peace when you're going through A, B, and C? Maybe the loss of a loved one. Maybe a traumatic relationship. All of the above. How can you have that much peace? And the answer may well be is because you're fully engaging and present to what the gift and blessing is amidst the disappointment. You're fully present to Jesus. You're engaging with him. What about worry, fear, and uncertainty? Does it mean that when you're fully engaging with God, you'll never experience worry or you'll never fear or you'll never be uncertain about the future? No, it doesn't mean that. 
even and especially the most dedicated and devoted followers of Jesus will always come across seasons of worry, fear, and uncertainty. It's not that we'll never experience those things, but what it means to be fully engaged with God is that when we experience those things, God's power comes. God's power is there. The eyes of the Lord Lord, range throughout the earth to strengthen those. Do you see that? To strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Side tangent. Even those hearts who aren't fully committed to him or fully engaged with him, the grace of God rushes in there too. But the encouragement for us is why not? Why not be fully engaged with God? Why not? What have you got to lose? It's a win-win. Because you get him at the end of the day. And that's the blessing of Jesus. It's not that he takes the disappointment away. Maybe he'll heal it someday. Not that he takes the, uh, the disillusionment away or the worry or the fear or the uncertainty. It's that you get Jesus at the end of the day. You get his presence in your life. You get the peace of knowing that this is only temporary. That my eternity is with Christ. I've been nailed to the cross with Jesus. And my future is determined already by his death and resurrection. Not by any circumstance that wishes to to rise against the knowledge of God in my life. But that Jesus is present. That's the deal. You get him. And that's a pretty good deal. The best one, actually. The best one. Okay, so key truth, key question, key decision. Key truth, key question, key decision. The first is the key truth. And the first key truth is from the Second Chronicles 16.9 passage is that God is fully engaged with me. God is fully engaged with me. Can you put your hand over your heart and just say, God is fully engaged with me? Is that hard for people? Let's do it together. It's hard. Let's do it. And let's let's say together, God is fully engaged with me. That's right. That's the truth. God is fully. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy wonderful that there are 9 billion people on the planet Earth right now? Probably more. I think the stats are wrong. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than 9 billion, right? 9 billion people just to kind of blow your perspective up right now. Nine billion people on the planet, and God is intimate. There's not one, there's not one person where God is not engaging in their lives. How beautiful is that? That God is at work in every single person's journey on the face of the planet. That's crazy. There's not one person where where God is just like, "Mm, you know, not that one too messed up, too jacked up, too forgotten, too invisible. Engaging with every single person. Have you tried to engage with your friend network through social media? However many followers or friends that you have, it's pretty impossible. Maybe you have like 100 friends on Facebook or something. God is engaging on a deepest, the most intimate level 
with 9 billion plus all at the same time. That's amazing. That's so wonderful and says so much about his character. And that he's not like us. Yes, God is like us in the person of Jesus, but God is so other that he's so not like us. You know, so many times in my life and in the lives of others who I've had the honor and privilege of listening to over the years have said, I feel far from God. Do you guys know that one? I feel far from God. Every hand in the room should be going out at one point. I feel far from him. I feel far from the heart of God. I don't feel like I'm close to him. I don't feel his presence. We'll all experience times in our lives like that. Mother Teresa is is famously known for like she didn't hear from the voice of God for like 10 years. She just kept on showing up in Calcutta and caring for for the dying and for the poor. So not one of us is excused from that sense of the human condition. That there will be times in your journey and in my life where we feel far from God. We don't feel like he's close. The good news this morning is that God is not like us. There's not one moment where God is like, I kind of feel far from them. (laughs) He's not fickle in his emotions where he's just like, "Mm, I don't know if if this person's really present or not. He's just always there. In Psalm 139, man, sweet, I got a little time. I was like, I got to read the whole thing because it's so good. And Psalm 139 gives us a great picture of what this looks like. This is who God is. And this is how he's so much not like us. Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, oh, Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the valley in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. 
Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God is so not like you and I. He's not fickle. There's nowhere you can go. David says, I go up to the mountaintop, and there you are. I go down to the valley, and there you are. There's just no way. Jesus is wonderful like that. He's like that. Um, he's just the best and the most annoying in the most endearing sense of the way. You know, S.M. Lockridge in his famous uh, sermon, That's My King, said, you can't get him off of your mind. You can't get him off of your hands. He's the king. There's nowhere you can go to get away from Jesus. He's got you right where he wants you. He's not going anywhere. He's present and fully engaged with me. That's the key truth. God is fully engaged with me. And then at the end, David says, search me and know me. So the key question is, am I fully engaging with God? John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, used to ask this question to every congregant. How is it with your soul? How goes it with your soul today? And I sit down with many of you and I, I try to ask you the same question. How goes it with your soul today? How is it with your soul today? This is a key question in answering the key question this morning, am I fully engaging with God? You know, taking spiritual inventory is not only biblical, but it's a call to every disciple of Jesus. We're to be taking spiritual inventory every day. It's such a healthy thing to take spiritual inventory. To be fully engaged with God means that we're sitting at his feet every day and worshiping him. We're forgiving those who have hurt us or learning how to become the type of people who forgive those who hurt us. We're to be speaking words of kindness to others. Looking for where God's smile is and pursuing that. That's what it means to be fully engaged and to remember or take spiritual inventory of those things in our lives is so biblical. Even my namesake, Eben. My, my full name isn't Ebenezer, but the the Hebrew word is Ebenezer, and it, remains, it, and it means stone of help. And so David and the Israelite army waltz in, and they take over some country, and then they set up this huge monument. You know that old hymn, Here I raise my Ebenezer, right? This is the stone of remembrance. And they do that to remind themselves in the future, that God is faithful. Remember, he was faithful back then. When we set up that monument, he's going to be faithful again. Thus far, the Lord is my help. He's helped me. It's healthy to set up these stones of remembrance in our journeys. To say, God, you met me back there when I was in my darkest moment. 
when it was bleak, when all around me I couldn't find you, even there you were faithful to me. So you set up the stone of remembrance. You journal it out. You remember. You praise God from that place. So when the future comes, the future trial, you can say, I remember back then you were faithful and you'll be faithful to me in this too because that's who you are. Jesus, that's who you are. And not only uh, stones of remembrance, but a daily examine of where you're at with God. And this can be simply done a number of different ways, but I want to encourage you with just one way that I found helpful for my journey in the past. And this is called the spiritual discipline of the examine. And there's this guy, St. Ignatius, who introduced this to people, and it's been widely spread, and it's been super helpful in my journey. And it's just a simple process. You could take like 10 or 15 minutes before you go to bed, I wish I had it up there so you could take a screenshot of it. But there's five things, five pieces of this process, and they're really simple. And I would like to go on record to say that if you would, were to commit to being present with God in this way, in a daily way, that you would see drastic transformation in your engagement with God over the course of a month, let's say, or three months. So here are the five, ready? This is the examine. Before you go to bed, this could be like 10 minutes before. There's really wonderful apps out today. One's called Pray As You Go. That's a really good one. I really enjoyed the young adult daily examine on Pray As You Go. Really useful tool. Just walks you through some really cool, soothing music in the background. Bang, you're fully engaged with God. You're like, sometimes it's not that easy. <laughs> I hear you. Okay, so the five things, right? Ten minutes before you go to bed, maybe your head's on the pillow. One, just become aware of God's presence. You don't have to do anything. Your day is done. All of the, um, all of the stresses, the anxieties, the responsibilities of work or parenting, those are done. You're just alone with God. Your head's hit the pillow and you're breathing and you're just present. The goal here is just to be present with God. God, make me aware of your presence. Okay, and once you receive a sense of God's presence, and maybe you don't call it that. Maybe it's just like, okay, I feel a little bit calmer than I did before. Run with that. You sense God's presence. Next, you review your day with gratitude. Just take a moment and say, God, these are the things that I was grateful for today. But review the whole day. Not just good things, but bad things too. Bring those with gratitude before God. That's a little bit more tricky. But as God leads you in kindness, you review the day with gratitude. And then the third thing is that you pay attention to your emotions. Pay attention to your emotions. How did I feel when I was on 480 and that guy cut me off? How did that make me feel? <laughs> God cares about that. How did I feel when I spoke to my child in a way that was unkind? How, how did that make me feel? How did that make him feel? How did that make her feel? How did it feel when my spouse said this to me? So, we pay attention to our emotions. Fourthly, 
we choose just one of the things from the day, and we pray from it. Okay, God, I felt really mad. I felt angry when that guy cut me off on 480. Would you help me with anger? I just have realized recently that I've got a really short fuse. God, you're long-suffering. God, you're patient. You're kind. Come teach me. Come teach me. Show me what it is about me that is short-fused. Show me uh, what about me is impatient. God, it's going to hurt for me to see that, but I pray that you'd expose my heart. You know, you just start praying from that place. You take prayer prompts. Maybe it's um, about your son or your daughter, and you had a really great talk with them during the day. God, I pray for my daughter. I pray that you would give her all that she needs as she sleeps, that you'd replenish her. Lord, I thank you for my spouse. Thank you that they're in my life to make me holy. Thank you, God, for the challenging things they said. Thank you for the wonderful thing. Thank you for the gift of companionship. You know, you you pray from that place. And then lastly, you look forward to tomorrow. You end it. You say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. All of the things that have drifted into my life, God, you see all of those things, and I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Thank you, God. You see how all of these things center in gratitude. There's something about a grateful heart that the Lord just pounces on. He just loves it. When we move away from entitlement, that something is owed to us in this life, and we move towards gratitude, the scriptures say to enter his uh, courts with praise, enter his gates with thanksgiving. When we come saying thank you, simply for no other reason that we just love to be around Jesus. It's like a magnet for God's presence. And we'll see this in this last story in Luke 10. And you guys are familiar with it. It's a story of two sisters who have invited Jesus over to their house for dinner. In Luke 10, 38... As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, twice. The Lord answered, you are worried, frustrated, upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. Weird translation. Mary chose the good thing. Mary chose the best thing, and it will not be taken from her. C.S. Lewis wrote, God wants to give us something, but can't. Because he's not able? No. Because our hands are full. There's nowhere for him to put it. Now, there's been thousands 
2,000 years of theology written on the story of Mary and Martha, I doubt that I could bring some new insightful thing that's going to like switch the room, right? There's tons of writing on this passage, but, it, but it's clear, isn't it, that Mary chose the best thing to, to sit at the rabbi's feet and to listen to the words of life, to have her life transformed in worship as her sister was distracted by many things, many things pooling for her attention, many preparations to be made. There's, there's many things. The, the screens at the church need fixed. There's, there's many things. The, the, the kids' room needs to be redecorated. There's many things. Good things. Really good things for you to be a part of. There are many things. Many, many things. Jesus says there's one thing that's needed. Only one. Only one. And Mary chose correctly. Mary chose to prioritize sitting at Jesus' feet above every other thing. I mean, for a minute, let's just put aside like what this means culturally, that a woman, not a man, is sitting at the rabbi's feet. Let's put that aside. This is very countercultural, and Jesus says she's doing the right thing. She's doing the best thing. Let's put that aside for a minute. That's important. Let's put aside um, the fact that like uh, there were other people in the room, and she was the only one who did the, the thing. There were other people there that night. It just wasn't Mary and Martha. There were, there were loads of people wherever Jesus went. There were other people there. Mary was the only one who chose what was best. The healing for a distracted heart is found in the presence of Jesus. I know that seems kind of pie in the sky. I know that seems kind of vague. But if you find your heart distracted, and we all have over time in different seasons, your mind's racing. You, you can't, can't shut it down at night. Anybody familiar there? You can't sleep. Your mind's racing. Busy, busy, busy thoughts. Busy thoughts. Jesus is the cure for a distracted heart. For a busy mind, Jesus will bring peace. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is best, and it will not be taken from her. All of these things that crowd our heart's attention, our mind's attention for God, all of these things, Jesus looks at you and he says, all of these things are not needed. In the most beautiful and powerful way, he says only one thing is needed. And Mary got it right. I don't know about you guys, like, I, I don't want to get it wrong. You know, you're in your, you're in your 20s and your 30s, and you're like, you yeah, know, 
I got time to get it right. You hit your 40s, 50s, 60s, and you start to say, I can't afford to get this wrong. I have to get this. I have, I have to get this one thing. And the cool thing about Jesus is that it's never too late. That we're at whatever state of mind you are in, however distracted for however long you've been distracted, however long the mind has been busy, other things, lesser loves clamoring for your heart's attention, that God meets you in that space. He's faithful to meet you there. 